Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show bringing you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric, aka Sulior, and oh boy, um, so I am not going to be doing the merchant today, I'm not going to be doing, you know, a lot of my normal shtick, because so, we have a lot to get to, so full disclosure, I recorded the lore segment before I'm doing this intro, and that in itself is an episode in length, so um, not including this. So let's go ahead and talk about the big news update. So Blackwood, yes, that is the name of the chapter for the next upcoming year of story in ESO. So for those of you that don't know, Blackwood is the uh, woods area that is in southeastern Cyrodiil and northwestern Blackmarsh. So, so basically what this story arc is, is it's going through one of Mehrunes Dagon's several attempts to invade Nern, the planet that Tamriel is on, part of Mundus. And what they're saying is he hasn't perfected the method yet. So it's kind of a precursor to Elder Scrolls for Oblivion, where it's kind of along the same lines, but he hasn't perfected his method for invasion. So that's kind of like with all this going on, that's kind of why I wanted to go through and do a few episodes on Oblivion related subjects. So this week is going to be about the Septum Dynasty, the whole, you know, lineage starting from Tiber Septum onward. And then next week I'm going to be talking about Mythic Dawn. So for those of you that don't know, the Mythic Dawn is a Daedric cult that worships Mehrunes Dagon and they play a key role in the game Oblivion, and I believe we saw them in the trailer that they showed at the beginning of the Twitch stream, you know, talking about all this stuff. So, the Gates of Oblivion is the name of the year-long story arc, and the first chapter is called, or the first chapter, the chapter is called Blackwood. So, they gave a time frame for several different, you know, DLC that are going to be coming out. So the chapter is Gates of, or the, sorry, the chapter is Blackwood. The first DLC is going to be called The Flames of Ambition, and then there's a couple of other ones that they mentioned. There's uh, there's a DLC that's going to be coming out in quarter three, and then a DLC that's going to be coming out in four, quarter four. Kind of like what they did with this one, where Markarth was the last DLC, and it was a story DLC, just like this one's going to be. So. The Flames of Ambition launches on March 8th for PC, Mac, and Stadia, and then March 16th for PlayStation 4. And Blackwood, the chapter, comes out June 1st. Now, they did mention some pre-order bonuses, like you get a free uh, pet. There's like this nightmare bear, it's like this flaming bear pet that you can get and there is a mount that you can get if you pre-order and those are available right now there's some other things that they mentioned that you get when the chapter launches so yes i mentioned the bear it's called the uh, nightmare bear cub pet and then the mount is called the Nagahide Welwa Ravenger. So, I've actually seen some people running around in this already. So, a lot of people are already pre ordering this, which I don't blame them at all. So, let's talk about the trailer that they showed. So, the Bosmer woman that they showed in the first trailer shows up again in this one. And it turns out that that is a Veily Sharp Arrow from the Orsinium DLC. And when I found that out, I was super excited because she was my favorite character from that DLC. And I think she's one of my favorite characters in ESO, period. Like, I just loved her personality. She was 
really bubbly and kind of innocent, but at the same time, you wouldn't want to mess with her because she'll kick your ass. And I was sad that she didn't show up anywhere else outside of Orsinium. So to find out that she plays a key role in this whole story arc, really, that I, I love that. So I'm very excited to see her. So also there is a Dramora, and I'm blanking on her name right now. It starts with an L. Um, she is in the game prior to this she's actually a dramora that is friendly um i want to say it's like lyris lyris something like that i i really apologize to the people who are probably screaming at me right now but i honestly haven't been able to do much of the imperial city stuff because i'm normally solo so if you would like to rectify that please uh hit me up and we'll tackle some of the imperial city stuff together so, yeah, I just, I'm not much for PvP, and I don't know, I guess that's just me. So, they also did show the Mythic Dawn. So, the Mythic Dawn were about to sacrifice somebody to Dagon, I believe. That They didn't specifically say that, but I'm guessing that's what it was. And Availi Sharp Arrow just snipes this person and then goes and dives and stabs somebody with an arrow as opposed to shooting that arrow and then just yeah they somebody grabs this book and summons a portal i'm guessing that is the mysterium xarxes that mankar cameron uses in oblivion um that'd be my guess it is the unholy book that supposedly Mayrun's Dagon wrote himself and yeah it's just I'm really stoked to see what exactly happens in this story arc I just can't wait and I will be pre-ordering it soon um I thought that I'd canceled my Fallout 76 subscription and apparently I didn't and money came out when I didn't when I finally had money in my account to do it and so I'm just going to be pre-ordering it as soon as I can um, I don't really care about the mount and the pet because I love my flaming horses that I'm running around with so um, yeah I'm really excited for all that they announced um, another thing that they announced that I they announced some merch like you can get this computer chair this ESO computer chair that I guess is done by the same people that did the fallout chairs and it looks really cool and apparently it's really easy to assemble and I wish I had the money for it but I don't so alas I'm just gonna have to let that go there's another thing, a couple of other things that you can get by pre-ordering the game. There's a Dramora Kynreeve outfit, which looks really badass. Um, there's also a Deadlands Wamasu pet that you get, and then some Iron Atronach crown crates. So um, that looks really cool. The Collector's Edition also includes a Battlefield Nightmare Sentra mount, which is really cool. Uh, well, it's maybe not a rot, so maybe the, maybe it's the smaller version of the cinch. But regardless, you get to run around in a flaming cat, so or on a flaming cat, which looks really cool. Um, there's also a jeweled feathered sep adder pet, uh, so kind of like a, a jeweled uh, winged snake, which is interesting. So. Yeah, I just, I can't wait. So let's let's talk about my gameplay. I've definitely been playing some ESO. So if you're not following me on social media, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because I announce, if some news, some bit of news comes up and I've already put an episode out and it'll be a bit before I get another one out, I will post stuff on Instagram and Twitter. So they did a week of a free ESO Plus trial. So I jumped all over that. I posted it on social media. So like I said, if you're not following me, definitely follow me. And I'll also give teasers for episodes, things like that. I've done um, Instagram videos um, to my news, to my feed. 
So, yeah, definitely follow me on social media. I'll tell you how to do that at the end of the episode. So, I, like I said, I took advantage of the ESO Plus subscription. So, what I did was I did some of the Dark Brotherhood quests. And I did all this on stream. So, I did some of the Dark Brotherhood quests. and Well, I didn't do all of it on stream, but I also played through the Mark Arth chapter, and that was awesome. I really enjoyed that. So, and it wasn't very long, um, not compared to like a chapter or some of the other DLC even, but there was definitely some good content there. And I, like I said, I really enjoyed the Mark Arth story. I need to finish Greymore, but I definitely enjoyed Mark Arth. So that really, is it as far as my gameplay with um, Elder Scrolls. I'm looking to play some more Oblivion here in the next couple weeks. Um, so definitely keep an ear to the ground with my Twitch stream. I may not do it today when I'm posting this on uh, February the 1st, but I will definitely be playing some Oblivion in the next couple weeks. Maybe not just Oblivion. I'll probably play some other stuff on stream, but... Yeah, definitely follow me, twitch.tv slash Sulior. So, um, as far as my other gameplay, let's see. I talked about my Nintendo gameplay on the latest episode of Nintendo that we posted on Saturday evening, uh, early Sunday morning, somewhere around there. Uh, it was pretty late at night. Um, so, what else did I... I finished Cyberpunk. I don't know if I men mentioned that on um, this show or not. I finished with my street kid character and then I started two more so I've played some of my female corpo on stream as you know male street kid uh, female corpo I figured those were pretty much opposites of each other uh, I started playing Mass Effect 1 I have never played Mass Effect before but I know a lot of people are talking about it and uh, friend of the show Fire Rider her discord was just going nuts over Mass Effect recently. So I was like, eh, all three are free with Game Pass, so what the hell. Um, is it just me, or is... I, I'm playing through the first one, and Commander Shepard just seems really wooden to me. I, I hope his personality opens up. But, again, I've never played Mass Effect, so maybe he does. Um, I've been, <laughs> been playing a lot of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite recently. I don't know why. I guess I just wanted to play a fighting game. I loved the, or I guess loved the Marvel vs. Capcom series. I remember playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2 in arcades constantly. So I've been playing Infinite and I've been playing the story mode. I played a lot of the arcade mode. And then one, one night it was like midnight, one in the morning. This person kept trying to challenge me and I accepted it the first time and annihilated him and then he kept trying to challenge me i'm like dude no leave me alone i'm just i'm playing casual right now but yeah i'm pretty far into the story mode too and i love that the fact that there is a story mode now because back in the day there wasn't so you just played the arcade mode and kind of figured it out as you went along um let's see i think that's about it as far as what I've been playing, of course, I'm always playing 76, uh, going through the daily grind. I'm almost done with that. I think I'm, like, level 76 or 77, maybe 78. Yeah, 78. I think I'm level 78 right now on the scoreboard, so I'm ready to be done with that. But, yeah, I'll be talking about Fallout here in a little bit. We're going to be posting an episode no later than valentine's day so be on the lookout for that for tapes of the waste anyway i'm gonna quit rambling and uh yeah let's take a little break you get to hear from my anchor sponsor and then we will talk about the septum dynasty so stay tuned guys see you on the other side you guys welcome back after that short break so as i mentioned earlier today we are talking the septum dynasty so this is who was in control when the oblivion crisis happened but it in the oblivion game 
you're actually seeing the end of the Septim Dynasty. So the Septim Dynasty began when Tiber Septim united the empire. Like he basically went and conquered all of Tamriel and brought them under the banner of himself, Tiber Septim, so Talos. So he, he achieved this in Second Era 896 and he was crowned by the end of the year and he pronounced at, in that year second era 896 that the second era is over and the third era is begun and as I said you know the Septim dynasty lasts all of the third era so now, I'm not going to get into every single ruler in this line. I'm just going to kind of highlight a few. It, I mean, there's this episode was going to run long anyway. But I am not going to be talking about Tiber Septim really in this episode. I, I mean, I just kind of wanted to give you an overview of what he's known for but I'm going to do a whole episode on him when we continue the Aedra and Daedra series when we talk about Talos. So yeah, I'm not going to really get into him here. So Talos, uh, Tiber Septim's reign lasted for 38 years and he is succeeded by Pelagius I, his only direct descendant. Now, Pelagius I is mainly known for being assassinated by the Dark Brotherhood. So, um, when you t when you are playing the Dark Brotherhood storyline in Skyrim, they kind of mentioned that um, Titus Me II was not the first emperor to be targeted by the Dark Brotherhood. The first one was, I believe, the first one at least was Pelagius I. So, yeah, he, he's known for being assassinated by the Dark Brotherhood after being on the throne for three years. So, um, yeah, that is the end of Tiber Septim's direct bloodline. And uh, he is succeeded by Kintyre. Kintyre? Kintyra? K-I-N-T-Y-R-A. Kintyra. Yeah, I believe is how you pronounce it. Kintyra. Okay, it took me a few times. I think I got it. So she is Tiber Septim's niece, and she ascended to the throne in Third Era 41, since Pelagius himself didn't have any living children. So the former queen, uh, Sylvanar, Sylvanar, was blessed by a time of prosperity and harvest, and she was an avid patroness of art, music, and dance. Kentyra was the mother to Uriel I, and he succeeded her when she died in Third Era 48, so she didn't last too much longer either. The most famous burglar in Elsewhere's history, Rajin, is said to have stolen a tattoo from the neck of Empress Kentyra as she slept. How in the hell do you do that? I, I don't know, must have been some magic involved. So, the Wolf King Volume 1 quoted a sage that implied that Kentyra was still Empress in 3rd Era 63, even though she died 15 years before. I'm not sure how that's possible, but in the Elder Scrolls world, I guess anything is possible. So, the next one I'm going to talk about is Potema. And if you've played Skyrim, you know who Potema is. She was born in 3rd Era 67, and she died in 3rd Era 137. And so her reign is actually from 3rd Era 81 to 3rd Era 137. So her, she succeeded Manticaro, and the next ruler after her is Pelagius III, who we'll talk about in a minute. So, Potema is known as the Wolf Queen of Solitude, and she's the daughter of Pelagius Septim II and wife of King Manticaro, and she is the aunt of Empress Kintara II. She's the mother of Uriel III and the sister of Emperors Antiochus, Antiochus I believe, um, 
Sephoris and Magnus, and she's best known for her role in the War of the Red Diamond. In Third Era 120, she launched a rebellion and overthrew her niece, Kintara II, the following year so that her son could become Emperor Uriel Septim III. Although the war ended in Third Era 127, it was another 10 years, capped off by a month-long siege at her castle in solitude, before Potema herself was defeated. She has been described as unambiguously evil and is remembered as one of the most dangerous necromancers in the history of Tamriel. And yeah, there's a whole side quest, a couple of side quests about her in Skyrim where somebody is trying to, well not somebody, a few people are trying to resurrect her. So here's a quote here from Potema. Um, it says, I am the queen of solitude and daughter of the emperor. Summon the Daedra. I'll trade the soul of every last subject of mine for a little comfort. Yeah, that sounds pretty ruthless. So, um, next up here is well, there's actually there's a little bit more about Potamus. So, there are certain discrepancies in the sources documenting Potamus' life. There's the biography of the Wolf Queen, which gives the name of Potamus' mother as Kizara. While the historical fiction, the Wolf Queen labels her as Quintanilla. I believe Nia. It sounds. It looks Hispanic. Quintanilla. Some sources say or imply that she launched her rebellion in the year Third Era 114 through Third Era 120 to 121, and has more support among the various sources. However, despite the occasional scholarly mistake or disagreement, there is still a great amount of reliable information about the Wolf Queen. So you have to keep in mind these in-game books. There's usually some sort of author, and you have to take into account who the author is. Just like real life, where some books are just blatant propaganda and should not be taken super seriously like the Talos mistake that's obviously written by or from the perspective of somebody with the Thalmor and they're trying to discredit Tiber Septim's you know ascension to godhood as nothing more than fiction so why are we worshiping this fictional god and that you know, a lot of these in-game documents kind of follow that pattern where, yeah, there might be some truth to what they're saying, but you need to really get the full context of, you know, the full, you got to do your research and fact check some of these things, even though, you know, it seems silly. It's just something to take into account. So yeah, they call the Wolf Queen here historical fiction. So, anyway, um, so, born, she was born, like I said, in Third Era 67. She was one of four known children of Pelagius II. Her grandfather, Emperor Uriel Septim II, is said to have exclaimed that the, wolf, the newborn looked like a she-wolf ready to pounce. Well, she kind of acted like it, too. She was married to Manticaro. Or sorry, Mantic Mantic Ar Manti Arco. Manti Arco. M-A-N-T-I-A-R-C-O. Yeah, some of the I keep saying some of these words are kind of hard to pronounce. Manti Arco of Solitude at the age of fourteen. So she was married at fourteen. Though she could have been nothing more than a court pawn, Manti Arco eventually loved her greatly and she wielded total control, something she apparently took a great liking for. Yeah, I, I could I should say so. So in Third Era 97, after many miscarriages, Potema had a son who she named Uriel after her grandfather. Her husband died three years later. It is suspected that soon after Uriel III was born, she tricked Mantiarco into disinheriting her, his son from a previous marriage, leaving her son as the heir to the throne. However, solitude was a mere stepping stone to the throne Potema truly desired for Uriel, the ruby throne of the Emperor of Tamriel. 
when her brother died, or I'm sorry, when her brother Emperor Antiochus died, Potema and her son were visiting the imperial city, and she used the opportunity to accuse the dead emperor's daughter of being a bastard, in which case her son would inherit the throne. However, she could not stop her niece's coronation as Emperor Kintiara II, and naturally she was banished from the imperial court. Potema conspired with various disgruntled kings in Hyrox, Skyrim, and Morrowind, whose allegiance she had garnered over the years. With Potema's assistance, Uriel III coordinated three attacks on the, on the Septim Empire. The attack in Hyrox resulted in the capture of Kintiara II. The attack in Morrowind centered on numerous imperial coastal forts and resulted in the demise of the emperor's consort. After reinforcements left these two provinces, the third attack in Third Era 121, it was sieged on the imperial city itself. The city held out a fortnight and before it was capitulated, that's an interesting word, and Potema's son crowned himself Emperor Uriel Septim III. So his surname was actually Mantiarco, but he declared himself a Septim, which, I mean, technically he was, because he's descended from the Septims, but that's that wasn't actually his surname. So it's kind of, I guess he just decided to take the family name. His coronation is generally marked as the start of the War of the Red Diamond, though some sources evidently take into account the hostilities began the year before. The Civil War pitted Potema and her son against her younger brothers, Sephoris and Magnus. Potema commanded the allegiances of Skyrim and northern Morrowind. Sephoris and Magnus managed to sway all of Hyrock to their side. The other provinces were divided, but most leaders supported the brothers. In Third Era 127, Uriel III was captured at the Battle of Ikidad, Ikidag, I C H I D H E Ikidag, in Hammerfell. The 61-year-old Potema, fighting against Magnus at the Battle of Falconstar, flew into a rage when she heard this and led a successful assault herself. En route to Uriel III's trial in the Imperial City, a mob overtook his prisoner's carriage and burned him alive within it. His captor and uncle continued on to the Imperial City and by common acclaim was proclaimed Emperor Sephorius I, ending the War of the Red Diamond. Potema finally died in her castle during the Siege and Solitude in Third Era 137. The reason it took Sephorius an additional ten years to defeat his sister nearly his entire reign was because Potema's fury and increasing madness led her to use extreme measures. Her spirit eventually, sorry, her spirit was evidently extraordinarily strong, and she used her innate talent in conjuration and necromancy to inflict as much pain upon her brother's empire as she could. Potema summoned Daedra as minions and mounted attack upon attack on the forces of Emperor Sephorus I, employing necromancers to her enemies fallen against them. So basically she's going through this war, killing all these people, and then using them to keep fighting against the other side. So yeah, that, that's a little dangerous. She turned solitude into a land of the dead and terrified her subjects. It's said that eventually even her chambermaids and generals were undead monsters. So, ugh, yeah. Doesn't sound like a very pleasant person. So there's a picture here on the UESP article that shows Potema's skull with a crown on it. According to the late Third Era sources, the underground organization Horm is still believed Potema and her deposed son Uriel III were the last true, uh, the, sorry, the last of the true Septim bloodline, and they periodically raided imperial holdings as a result. It's rumored that her madness was so intense that it infected the person who took up residence in solitude after her, Pelagius the Mad. Which, yeah, we're about to talk about him. In 4th era 201, a group of necromancers in the wilds of Hofinger 
attempted to raise and bind Patama's spirit, but the ritual was interrupted by the last dragon porn. This is the you know, quest I was telling you guys about a minute ago. Patama's spirit was allowed to roam free, and she returned to her catacombs beneath solitude to build up her undead forces. The dragonborn followed her there and defeated her, and had her remains sanctified by the priests of Arcade to banish her spirit. According to the Wolf Queen by Hwagin Yarth, the title The Wolf King- Queen came not from Patema's appearance, but from the soul gem necklace that she received from her mother. So this little gem here in her crown, it's got three gems on it, two green ones on either side of a larger light blue one, which I guess is a soul gem. So um, it bore the soul of a powerful werewolf killed by Patema's parents. Yarth also portrayed Patema as being responsible for the insanity of the infamous Pelagius the Mad writing that during the Siege of Solitude, she changed the enchantment on her amulet to slowly bring insanity to the wearer. So not only did she make everybody around her insane, she made herself insane also. So she then gave this amulet to the young prince who thought she was merely a friendly old lady. (laughs) Wow. So uh, yeah, next is Pelagius Septim III. So you kind of meet him in Skyrim, or at least some form of him. For all we know, that could have just been Sheogorath messing with us, but um, he was born in 3rd Era 119, and he died in 3rd Era 153. So his reign is from 3rd Era 145 to 3rd Era 153. So he didn't really rule too long either, so... He seceded Magnus Septum and Kataria, K-A-T-A-R-I-A-H, seceded him. So, Doris Pelagius Septum, more commonly known as Pelagius III, or Pelagius the Mad, was Prince of Weyrest. He was the Jarl of Solitude and then High King of Skyrim from 3rd Era 137 until 3rd Era 145 when he was crowned Emperor of Tamriel after the death of his father Magnus. Legend accuses Pelagius of murdering Magnus, but it is generally dismissed as false, both because Pelagius Septim seldom visited the Imperial City, and it was also documented that he was present in solitude at the time of his father's death. Already infamous in Skyrim for his eccentricities, Pelagius III's mind deteriorated dramatically during his reign over Tamriel. He embarrassed dignitaries, offended the Vassal kings, and on one occasion marked the end of a grand ball by attempting to hang himself. His madness is speculated to have been caused by Patema the Wolf Queen, whose own insanity was said to have been infused in Castle Solitude, infecting the next king who ruled there. The madness of Pelagius eventually cost him the throne. Empress Kataria, Kataria, I, I, I think it's Kataria, I'm not sure. A shrewd diplomat, diplomat, hand-selected by Magnus to be Pelagius' wife in order to hide his son's problems, was made Empress Regent over Tamriel two years into his reign. Pelagius III, meanwhile, was sent to a series of healers and asylums, which may have included sites in Valenwood, elsewhere in Blackmarsh, until his death at the age of 34. He died on a warm night in sun's dawn after a brief fever in his cell at the Temple of Kinnereth on the Isle of Bethany. The second of sun's dawn, which may or may not have been the anniversary of his death, records aren't clear, is celebrated as Mad Pelagius Day. The time when foolishness of all sorts is encouraged. Why would you encourage that? I don't know. The Temple of Kenrith, in which Pelagius died, was destroyed shortly after his death. A group of heretics known as the Apostles later took the stones of the temple and rebuilt it in exact detail in the Shivering Isles. Okay, so there's actually... So, Sheogorath really took a liking to this guy. And, I mean, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But um, it is now known as the Howling Halls because it is said that Pelagius' screams can still be heard. 
The pelvis of Pelagius was discovered in these ruins in 3rd era 433 and was put on display in Crucible. So I wonder if that's something you do in Shivering Isles. I've never done that before. Or if I have, I don't remember. I'm gonna have to look into that because that sounds interesting. Even in death, Pelagius was trapped by his own madness. It is said that his ghost went on to haunt the Pelagius wing of the Blue Palace in Solitude, which was locked up until... So, sorry, locked up and left alone for centuries. In 4th era 201, the last dragonborn received the hip bone of Pelagius in solitude from Derevenine, the priest of Mania. And he entered the Pelagius wing, which, in which he was transported into the dead emperor's mind found, and found Sheagorath. The mad god had retired to within Pelagius's mind to try and cheer the dead emperor up but to no avail the prince tasked the last dragonborn with cleansing Pelagius's mind of paranoia suspicion self-doubt anger and torment using Wabajack this finally allowed Pelagius some peace and Sheogorath and the last dragonborn left him to his rest so yeah this is actually kind of interesting because when you first get in there here's the thing I'm not even sure whether or not this really happens even though you do walk away with the wabajack so maybe it did but how do you enter somebody's dead mind so yeah um Gorath is in on vacation and when you first encounter him it's a scene right out of alice in wonderland the whole tea party bit so yeah they're sitting down having a tea party and you basically yeah he he kind of explains to you the all the different issues that Pelagius battled within himself, whether it's night terrors, you know, crippling insecurities, you know, things like that. He, he believed his mom to be some sort of enemy also. So you use the Wabajack to cleanse his mind of all these. So whether or not you really help him in death, I don't know. But, I mean, I guess maybe you do because, like I said, you do walk away with the Wabajack. So it's not like nothing happens. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully. Who knows? So next up is Uriel the Sixth. So this is Uriel Septim the Seventh father i believe so uriel the sixth was crowned emperor when his father uriel the fifth was killed in akavir on the on the battle of ioneth so i i really want to see what akavir looks like there's just so much we don't know about akavir and akavir has invaded tamriel before so i really hope that at some point we do get to see bits and pieces of akavir so at the time, this um, happens in Third Era 290s. So at that time, you know, Tamriel was at war with Akavir. So Uriel the Sixth was five years old when this happens. So in fact, Uriel the Sixth was born only shortly before his father left. So he didn't even really know his dad. Uh, before his dad went to war. So Uriel V's only other uh, progeny by a different woman were twins Morahatha and Eloisa, who had been born a month after Uriel V had left. The the consort Thonica, as the boy's mother, was given restricted regency until Uriel VI reached maturity. The Elder Council retained the real power as they had ever since the days of Kataraya. (laughs) That word is really hard. So, um, the Council so enjoyed its unlimited and unrestricted freedom to make laws and profits. Uriel VI was not given full license to rule until 3rd Era 307 when he was 22 years old. He had been slowly assuming positions of responsibility for years, but the council and his mother, who enjoyed even, you know, even her limited regency, were, sorry, were loath to give him full reign. I'm gonna leave my struggles of saying the word Kataraya in because I just kind of think that's funny. These words can be really difficult, I swear. 
So anyway, by the time he came to the throne, the mechanisms of government gave him little power but the power to veto. Uriel VI, the uh, power to veto, was regularly exercised, however, and by Third Era 313, he could boast with conviction that he truly did rule Tamriel. He utilized defunct spy networks and guard units to bully and coerce the difficult members of the Elder Council. Morhata became his staunchest ally after her marriage to Baron Ulfres Gerson of Winterhold brought her considerable wealth and influence. However, Uriel VI died in Third Era 313 when he fell from his horse and could not be saved by the finest Imperial healers. That must have been a hell of a fall. But um, he left the throne to Morihata, so I guess, uh, yeah, Uriel the Seventh was not Uriel the Sixth son, as I thought. I apologize for that. But we are now going to talk about Uriel the Seventh. So, any picture you see with Uriel the Seventh, he's wearing the amulet of kings and. I haven't really talked much about this. I did talk about it a little bit in the Akatosh episode. But the Amulet of Kings was given to... Actually, it was given to St. Alessia. So the Septim Dynasty is not the first empire. There have been several empires by this point. So the first was actually Saint Alessia and she was given the Amulet of Kings as a symbol of her power and what it is what it what it is is a tool to keep the forces of oblivion from invading Mundus Tamriel you know Mundus particularly so when you use it to light the dragon fires in the imperial city and if and it ha- the throne has to be held by a dragonborn emperor and if there's no dragonborn emperor on the throne the dragon fires go out and the dragon fires are really what keep the forces of oblivion at bay from invading Tamriel and the attempt that Mayrun's Dagon makes in oblivion to invade Tamriel is not the first instance of this as we'll see in the Blackwood DLC as we've seen in the Battlespire game so it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out in the Blackwood DLC of ESO. But uh, Dagon kind of perfected his uh, invasion method by the, time, by the events of Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Uriel VII plays a pivotal role in Oblivion, but I want to say we actually first meet him in Daggerfall. So if you've ever played Daggerfall, it opens up with actually a live action uh, segment where he is telling you what he wants you to do and, you know, why you're going to the Daggerfall city in High Rock. But we meet him again. He plays a role in Morrowind also, but you don't actually see him directly. You're tasked with investigating the Nerevarine prophecy in Morrowind. But we do see him again in Oblivion, and he's played by Patrick Stewart. And Oblivion was the first Elder Scrolls game I ever played, and starting a new game hearing his voice at the beginning as he's giving this really powerful message that might have been what hooked me at the beginning just hearing patrick stewart and being like oh my gosh this is huge but um in all actuality he's not in oblivion for that long but let's let's talk about his reign a little bit. So Uriel Septim the Seventh was born in 
Third Era four sorry three forty six, and he died in Third Era four thirty three. His reign is from Third Era three sixty eight to Third Era four thirty three, and he seceded Pelagius Septim the fourth, and he is seceded by Martin Septim. So he yeah he appears in Arena Daggerfall Oblivion the mobile version of Oblivion and Elder Scrolls Legends. So I guess he was in Arena also. I don't remember that. But, I mean, I have played quite a bit of... No, I, I, I take that back. So you do see him at the beginning of Oblivion. So, not Oblivion, but Arena. So Arena, in Arena, he is sent to a pocket of Oblivion by Jagar Tharn. And Jagar Tharn decides to impersonate the Emperor. So, yeah, that's when you see him in Arena. But, yeah, you see him in Daggerfall at the beginning in live action. So, which, as far as I know, is the only time that's really happened. So, he was the 21st Emperor of the Third Empire and the Septim Dynasty. So, he inherited the throne from his late father, Pelagius IV, in Third Era 368, and he reigned for 55 of the 65 years he was crowned emperor. And he is assassinated in Third Era 433. So, yeah, in Oblivion, like quite a few of the Elder Scrolls games, it opens up with your character in prison. And you learn that all you know is that there was an attack on himself and his known heirs. So he had three legitimate sons with Empress Kala Voria. And so it was Crown Prince Geldal, Prince Enman, and Prince Abel. And he has two bastard sons with two other unknown women. So Calaxis Septim who I guess he must have been killed also, and Martin Septim. So Pelagius IV died in Third Era 368 after an astonishing 29-year reign. So Tamriel was closer to unity since it had been since the days of Uriel I and his, you know, his son Uriel VII succeeded him, and he had the diligence of his great aunt Morahatha and the political skill of his great, sorry, grand uncle Uriel VI. And he also had the military prowess of his great grandfather Uriel V. For 65 years he reigned and brought justice and order to Tamriel. So I mentioned that at the beginning of the game he gives this really powerful message. So if you're not following me on social media, Tamriel Tamrielic P on Instagram and Tamrielic Adventures on, I'm uh, sorry, Tamrielic P on Twitter and Tamrielic Adventures on Instagram. You're kind of doing yourself a disservice because a lot of the times when news comes out before I put out a new episode, I'll post something about it or I'll kind of give a preview of the next upcoming episode. And I did that with this one. So I posted a picture of Uriel the Seventh at the beginning of the game when you first kind of see him he's kind of holding the amulet of kings in his hand like it's around his neck and he's kind of looking at it and it is kind of that opening speech so yeah definitely follow me on instagram and twitter if you're not already please do so just so you if you know you don't want to see you know if if you're not interested in things like that, so you'll keep up to date with news. I swear to God, um, I don't know how many times it'll happen where I'll post an episode and the next day something else happens. So definitely, definitely give me a follow on Instagram and Twitter. So here it talks about also when he is betrayed by the Imperial Battle Mage, Jagar Tharn, who is a descendant of Abner Tharn, who we see in ESO. And this happens in Third Era 389. So, yeah, he's imprisoned in a pocket of oblivion. And Tharn used illusion magic to assume the Emperor's identity. 
So the Amulet of Kings would warn the Elder Council in the event of Uriel VII's death. Tharn held Uriel VII in a dimension where time ran slower, ensuring that it would take centuries for the true emperor to die. The next ten years, Tharn abused the imperial privilege, but did not continue Uriel VII's schedule of reconquest. It's not known entirely what Tharn's goals were and personal accomplishments that he had during those ten years. And Tharn was eventually defeated in Third Era 399 by the Eternal Champion, who freed Uriel VII from his other delusional, sorry, other dimensional cell. After his release, Tharn, uh, sorry, Uriel VII worked diligently to renew the battle to reunite Tamriel. Tharn's interference broke the momentum, but the following years proved that the lauded Golden Age of Tiber Septum could return to Tamriel once more. So, it's interesting here because this all starts in Third Era 389, and the events of Oblivion take place in Fourth, er, sorry, Third Era 433. So the span of time from Arena to Oblivion is only a handful of years. It's only like, yeah, it's only like 41 years. So, no, not 41, sorry, uh, 44. So that's kind of interesting. And then with Skyrim, it jumps ahead 200 years. So after the events of arena it goes on to talk about um, the events of oblivion so on the 27th of last seed fourth era sorry third era i don't know why i keep saying fourth there third era 433 the three heirs of uriel the seventh were assassinated by the mythic dawn who we will talk about in the next episode they are a daedric cult that worships Mehrunes Dagon. Shortly afterward, the Mythic Dawn assassinated Uriel VII himself. And you actually watch this happen in Oblivion. Like, in, it Basically, it happens during the tutorial. And there's nothing you can do. Like, You just have to sit and watch as Uriel's killed. So, um, this leaves the only, only in a illegitimate son of Uriel VII named Martin to claim the throne. So Uriel actually tells you that he knows this is going to happen. He had foreseen it. He follows the divines. Like He is a staunch devotee of the divines and looking at the stars he could see his own death. And he actually considers this a blessing. So he tells you, he gives you the Amulet of Kings so the Mythic Dawn don't possess that. And he tells you to go find Martin. He tells you where to find him and sends you to rescue Martin because he knows that Martin's going to be attacked also. Martin's in Kavach. And by the time you get to Kavach, it's already under siege. So you help stop the siege and tell Martin what's going on. He's like, look, you're like, look, dude, these demons from the Deadlands are here for you. This is why. And he's like, wait, what? No, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just me. I'm not an emperor's son. But during the events of Oblivion, you see Martin who has leadership thrust upon him out of nowhere like he grows up as this humble priest well he said he wasn't always a priest but and also i should mention that martin is voiced by sean bean which is just freaking awesome also so you tell him everything that's going on and he eventually does believe you and you take him to cloud ruler temple to you know be protected by the blades and you just kind of see his character arc progressed where he gives this kind of uh, shaky speech 
you know, just telling everybody how much he appreciates what they're doing for him. And it gets to the point where he's leading the charge against the forces of oblivion at the great gate outside Bruma, where he gives this really inspiring speech. And it's one of those cases where, yeah, he may not have wanted the throne, but at the same time, he was the best for it. And ultimately, he sacrifices himself. He takes the Amulet of Kings. He goes to light the dragon fires. But by the time you get there, Dagon has already crossed over into Tamriel from the Deadlands. He's made the jump to the point where you can't even use the dragon fires anymore. So he ultimately shatters the Amulet of Kings and becomes the avatar of Akatosh. I know this is kind of getting into spoilers, but the game's now about 15 years old, so... Um, yeah, Martin actually becomes the avatar of Akatosh and ultimately defeats Dagon and sends him back to the Deadlands. So now he, Dagon obviously isn't dead, but he sends him back to the Deadlands. And the effort that all of this takes ultimately kills Martin. So he... The, avatar of Akatosh actually becomes a statue that is in the Temple of the One, so... So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that is the end of the Septum Dynasty, and over the course of the 200 years, you see the Medes ascend to the throne, but they're not... They're not, um... Dragonborn. And, yeah, at by that point, like, they're... The Dragonfire's... You know, sending Mirren's Dagon back to the Deadlands, and Martin's sacrifice ultimately makes it to where the Daedra can't invade Oblivion again. Or not invade Oblivion, but invade Mundus again. So his sacrifice wasn't in vain. So it, it would have been interesting to see what kind of ruler Martin had would have been had he survived i think he would have been a great leader because he definitely showed that he was capable of that in the lead that you know where he led the charge against the great gate and ultimately against mayron's dagon in imperial city so yeah like i said we'll talk about the mythic dawn in the next episode i'm not going to really get into dagon of course i'm going to mention him as I did with this episode but there, we're going to do a whole episode about Maitrun's Dagon when we start talking about the Daedra so that is really about it as far as the Septim Dynasty goes ultimately they only reigned for you know 433 years you know, for, you know unless you take into account Tiber Septim's whole war to reunite to unite Tamriel and bring it the entire continent under his rule. But as far as the whole ring goes, it's you know once that happens, it's only 433 years. So if you would like more information on this, you can just go to the UESP article that you know, gives you the entire detailed history of the Septim Dynasty. Like I said, I only talked about kind of like the more well-known ones. So, yeah, definitely, definitely check out the article and definitely follow me on social media. As I mentioned, if you aren't already, you can follow me on Twitter at TamrielFP. You can find me on Instagram at TamrielAdventures. If you're interested in following my personal page, is um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at iangold08. You can also email the show if you have any suggestions or uh, you know, just want to reach out to me but don't want to make your voice heard. And that is at tamrielicadventurespodcast at gmail.com. So I'd like to thank the UESP website as always. These guys are fantastic. I've been using them since I first did, you know, discovered the Elder Scrolls back in 2006. 
Also, I'd like to thank The Hive for sponsoring this podcast. As always, The Hive, you're amazing. And if you would like to join their Discord, I have a link in the show notes. And yeah, that about does it. Also, definitely check out my other shows. I have a show about Nintendo, or about Nintendo called Nintendo. <laughs> I do that constantly, you know, as well. Um, we're just about to wrap up the Pokemon series. We are. We just did an episode on Gen Six that came out on Saturday, and um, yeah, there's really only two episodes left in that series. And uh, we will be announcing what the next series is very, very soon. I am very excited to dig into this. So, And then also I have a show on Fallout War called Tapes from the Waste. We just released an episode about the forced evolutionary virus, the FEV virus, that uh, brought us so many wonderful creatures that are uh, inhabiting the wasteland so definitely check that out also i do that with my fellow hive member kdb um also uh, nintendo i do with a fellow hive member called uh, durka yeah so that about does it so as always stay safe adventurers mm-hmm.